Hey, I'm Tim. And I'm Drew. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In episode 28, we talk about our compositional styles, and we talk to Emily Roderick about improvisation and worship. Welcome to another episode of the Hearts and Hands podcast. I'm your host, Tim Babler, joined as always by my co-host, Drew Sonnenberg. Drew, how are things going for you? Pretty good. We've had a great conversation with Emily this week. And in it, as you'll hear in a minute, she talks about the, the difference between improvisation and composition and how she feels they're kind of different skills. So it got me thinking, Tim, you write music and you perform a lot of music. Would you consider yourself more of a composer or more of an improviser? <laughs> Can I take the scapegoat answer and say yes? I mean, when I'm writing music, it's completely new and it's all about having a new melody and new accompaniment and things like that. But a lot of times when I'm performing, especially in a smaller group setting, like I think I've talked in the past about our songs and stories, which is called one of our very informal type worship settings. And anytime I'm playing there, it's literally just me on piano or me on guitar. And I have a chord chart in front of me, so I know the structure of the song. But I kind of just play, you know, I may be finger picking or I may be strumming or, you know, somewhere in between. It's, it's never the same. I think that's where I use my improvisational skills in that smaller group setting, but definitely I also compose. So I guess I'm a weirdo, but <laughs> how about you, Drew? What's your style? I mean, I guess to a certain extent, I think if I'm playing for worship or something, the more improvisational nature or coming up with how how exactly we're going to do this verse or whatever comes more in a practice setting than in the worship itself. Once Once I get to a worship service, I usually have a pretty good idea of what I want to play. But as far as writing music in general goes, I would definitely classify myself as more of a composer. Tim, you you had the misfortune of knowing me back when I was at MLC, <laughs> and uh, whether it was in the ska band I was in that had you know six members, or it was some crazy thing I cooked up for a talent show that had more like twelve or fifteen members, I would generally write out every single note I would want played. And yep. I wanted it exactly like that. I want this exact harmony to be sung like this. I even later on started writing uh, drum parts, which was not something I was comfortable with at the beginning. But I had very particular ideas in my head of what I wanted drums to be doing eventually. So, yeah, I, I would say much more of a composer. I have an idea in my head and I just want I want to get it out there just like it is in my head. Sure. And I think I actually became more of an improvisational when I was in a group in college with Emily, who is our guest on this uh, this episode. So I'd love to hear her thoughts and, and see what she says about this. Let's get to that interview now. Today, we're excited to welcome our good friend, Emily Roderick, to the podcast. Welcome, Emily. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. For our listeners, Emily, who may not know you, could you just give a brief spiel of who Emily is? Sure. So, like Tim said, my name is Emily Radrig. I am an elementary school teacher and a music teacher in the Appleton area. I'm married to Kenny. He is the pastor at Grace in Sugarbush, which if you don't know where Sugarbush is, it's okay. We're about, <laughs> about 10 minutes north of the New London area. So we've been serving there for about a year. And I do worship music at our church. Yeah, and Emily, you and I have played a decent amount of worship music together in the past 
yeah. and one thing that you do particularly well that not a lot of people do is you improvise in a worship service. Is that correct? Am I? That is that a fair is, thing to say? Uh, yeah, I would say a good 75% of the worship music that I play in church is improvised. <laughs> sure. Uh, and we're going to be talking quite a bit about that today, but I thought it would be best to kind of define some terms before we get started. So when we're talking about improvising, we're not saying that you're like making a song up off the top of your head or that you're like shouting at the rest of the band, hey, I'm going to take a solo now or anything like that. Uh, but what what are we talking about here? What What would you consider what you do as far as improvisation goes? Right. So I'm not taking a solo in the middle of worship or I don't make up songs in the middle of a worship service or anything like that. When I improvise in worship, I am going off of the basic confines of a hymn tune or a song that's already been written. And I will either do it in a different key or I'll put a little bit of an extra something in there or I'll do it in a different style. But it's still a written piece of music that I'm going off of in worship. Sure. So there, there are some people that would say that doing something like that in a worship setting kind of goes against good order and is therefore either unwise or you should avoid it. What would your counter argument to that be? I would say that the music that we have in our hymnal, well, it's, it's very wonderful. And there's a lot of really wonderful worship music that we have available to us. A lot of it follows the same structure. And in order to you know, mix that up and put your own individual artistic stamp on a piece of music that is somewhat mainstream. Improvisation can be a good thing. I think where it becomes not good order is if the improvisation makes the music unsingable, if you're singing it with a congregation, or if the improvisation becomes the essential part of the a song that you're doing and it's unrecognizable or it's too much where it's distracting. But I think there there's a time and a place for improvising and worship as long as you use a little bit of good judgment and balance with the things that you're doing. Just playing devil's advocate a little here. Okay. Um, there, there would be some who say, if you have the, the musical capability to be able to improvise, you probably also possess the skill to write out the thing that you are playing so that it's less improvised and more something I've prepared ahead of time. And now, like, I still created it, but it's less spontaneous and less chaotic and more controlled. Do you have anything to say to that? Okay, maybe maybe two things to say to that. First of all, you mentioned the word chaotic. And I think that's kind of interesting because I think a lot of people think that improvisation when it comes to music has to be very chaotic and all over the place. But really, if you're improvising off of a controlled substance, if you will, like a hymn <laughs> tune or something like that, that's a bad way to put it, but controlled substance, it doesn't have to be chaotic. There is a certain amount of control that you have to exercise when you're improvising because it can't go so far that you can't get back to the original. So I think there has to be a little bit of control in the chaos, if you will. Sure. So, I mean, there's that. And then also with the second part of that, saying that you have to write it down 
or that it, if you possess the ability to improvise, you also possess the ability to write it down. I think that gets more into composition instead of improvisation. I personally don't compose as well as I improvise. And I have a lot of people ask me like, oh, are you going to write your music down? Or when are you going to put it on a piece of paper and sell it to people? And I try to tell them, I don't know if I could do that because my compositions are way too starchy. They don't have the flexibility that the stuff that I improvise on does. And it always turns out better if I'm not thinking as hard about it, if that makes sense. So I think writing it down makes it become a composition, whereas sometimes you get a little bit better results if you are improvising instead. So so you're saying, in your opinion, they're like separate skills, really, like that maybe they overlap to a certain extent, but they, they're they different in your mind. Absolutely. I would not call myself a composer, although a lot of people who listen to me play, because my main instrument is piano, a lot of people who listen to me play, they would say that I'm a composer, but I would more call myself an improviser than a composer, because I couldn't write it down if you asked me to. I would have to play it into a MIDI machine, and it would have to do it for me, and we'd have to go from there. It's not something that I think about in my head, and I see the melody in front of me where I could write it down. One of the things you had mentioned before, Emily, was that you want to make sure you avoid distractions or having the imp- improvised accompaniment be something that makes it unsingable. So mm-hmm. in your in your experience, how do you do that? Something that I have to make sure that I know ahead of time is the basic chord structure of the hymn. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to stick with the basic chord structure, but I need to make sure that I understand as the musician who's delivering the melody and making sure that this is a recognizable thing for the people that are listening to me play. I need to make sure that I know what the melody is and how the chord structure fits in so that if... I'm improvising and I get a little bit too far away from where we started originally. I can kind of control it a little bit better. It kind of puts parameters on the key signature that I use and the type of chords that I decide to put in as color so that it's not too far from the original, but it's different. Sure. That's another thing, too, that I think is different between improvising music and composing music is that I think composition is a little bit more of a science where you're analyzing what chords would go well and you're analyzing the melody and whatever and that's probably not sounding very intelligent coming from me because again I'm not a I'm not really a composer but for me music is all about color so when I am improvising on a hymn tune it's all about the color that I get from a sound not necessarily does this really go together if that makes sense so since you think of improvisation as a different skill than composition do you and this this is a a loaded question I'll say that ahead of time but do you feel like in order to be using your God-given abilities to their fullest extent that this is something you want to be using in connection with worship and in as your way of giving back to God based on the gifts he's blessed you with? Yes, that's the short answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) The long answer to that would be, I feel like I'm using my gifts to their fullest capability when I'm using them in an improvisational setting. 
usually where I choose to do that when I do worship music at our church currently is with pre-service and offertory music and post-service because the rest of the liturgy and the rest of the hymns I play on organ. And that obviously is a little bit harder of an instrument to improvise on. But sometimes I'll also improvise filler music when I'm doing communion. When I'm playing for communion, I'll improvise on organ. I don't necessarily feel that I would be using my capabilities as a musician if I just always stuck to what was in front of me because even if I was writing what was in front of me it wouldn't be as good as if I were to just sit down and improvise on something instead and that's kind of like how musicians are in general though because there's a bunch of different types of musicians in the world out there and some musicians are improvisers by trade think of the jazz the jazz era like all those jazz musicians are improvisers by trade. And if you ask them to just play what was in front of them, it wouldn't be as good because that's what they're trying to do. So that actually made me think of something too, Emily. Like you think of a piano bar, for example, where they have like dueling pianos. A yeah. good chunk of what they're doing is playing off of a piece of music that exists, but they're doing it their own way. So would you say what you do is similar in a way to that or different because it's not, you know, a piano bar is obviously not a worship setting. <laughs> yes, absolutely. A piano bar is not a worship setting, but I think the way that jazz musicians play off of the basic chord structure of whatever they've got in front of them or whatever lead sheet they have is very similar to how I improvise in worship. And it's obviously not like a slinky jazz tune because that for most worship settings would not be okay. <laughs> but a lot of what I do has to do with the emotion that you get from the hymn that's in front of me. And obviously for every person, that's going to be different. You're going to, as a musician, hear something different emotionally from the hymn that's in front of you. And if you improvise off of that, if there were five different people who improvised off the same hymn, it would all sound different. And that's the cool thing about being able to use improvisational skills is that you speak to people differently through the emotions and the colors that you can use musically with the same piece of music. And I think the argument could be made that the reason we use music in the first place is to evoke an emotional reaction. I mean, if we weren't trying to do that, then we would just, you know, chant the words of whatever hymn we were singing. But like <laughs> the music exists to help draw out emotion. So would you say that in your experience that improvising helps you do that more effectively? For me as a musician, it does. Because I think for me as a musician, the way that I play and the way that I use my gifts the most effectively is when I don't overthink it. When I overthink it, then it becomes starchy and premeditated. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's your gift. And some people do premeditate, they, they premeditate what they're going to play or they practice what they're going to play, or they write what they're going to play, and it comes out an effective thing. For me, improvisation is a stronger skill of mine because I don't overthink it. I just go with color and emotion in the moment. Yeah, and that makes me think of, Emily, when we were in college, and you and I and our friend Jared Farr started a kind of an improvisational group, more or less. Like we, we played songs that we, in a way, had made our own, and 
one of those things, though, is I think you have that ability not just with improvising, but how do you memorize what you improvise to kind of do the same thing again? How would you say that that goes about? How do I memorize it? Yeah, because like we'd play a song and we're like, oh, I really liked how that went. And then we're trying to remember how it goes. But then you you can kind of recreate it. A lot of that goes back to the color of the piece for me. I see music in color, which is kind of a weird thing. So for me, when I play a piece of music and I improvise it, for the most part, I can go back to it a week later if it was one that really stuck out to me as like, yeah, that was a really good one. I can recreate it based on the tones, the tones in the chords and on the color of the music that I'm hearing. Most of the time, it's just a little bit different, but not different enough that people are going to notice that it's different. For the most part, I play by ear, but I've had a lot of classical music training where I've learned how to read music and stuff too. And I can also read lead sheets. So I think it has something to do with the fact that I can listen to a piece of music and memorize it in my head and then spit it out. But I can also read music on the page, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And for the record, seeing color in music is not that uncommon. There's a word for it. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I also... um, it's some neurological thing, and I don't remember the correct term. But. Yes, but I also see music in color, so it's not. Huh. Maybe we're just the two weirdos in, in this conversation. but Possibly. Synesthesia, by the way. There oh, we go. Oh, Synesthesia. That's fun. So uh, just kind of one final question to wrap this up a little bit. So clearly th- we, we agree that improvisation can be useful and can be beneficial, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you're not going to ask like a five-year-old kid to do it in church. So that kind of begs the question, where is the line then? When, when is it okay? When isn't it okay? And I, I'm not looking for a definitive answer, but more of a discussion here. Like wh- what considerations are there? What do you think? I think it probably depends on your setting and on how the music you're playing is being used in a worship service maybe for two to start, because some settings are going to be a little bit more flexible on improvisational worship, depending on the type of service that you're using or whatever, or just certain demographics as far as congregations go. Not every congregation is going to be able to sing with an improvised melody. So if you're going to use improvisation in worship, especially if there are going to be people singing with it, you need to make it singable for whoever's there. And that's going to determine how much improvisation you can do. Also, the ability to control whatever you're improvising. So going back to the fact that a five-year-old, you probably wouldn't want them improvising in worship for the most part, unless the five-year-old is a genius, which there are some, you wouldn't have a five-year-old who can control their improvisation to the point where somebody can recognize what they're playing or that it's not completely, the um, improv- improvisation isn't completely overcoming everything else that they're trying to do. So I think there has to be an element of control to how you improvise. And I think that's kind of where the line is, which is where it would be different for every single person. Very diplomatic answer. <laughs> <laughs> I try. <laughs> 
Well, Emily, we definitely want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was fun to talk to you guys. Well, that just about does it for another episode of the Hearts and Hands podcast. Thanks for joining us so far. If you'd like to hear from different people specifically, or if you have thoughts on this week's episode, we'd love to hear them. Reach out to us on social media at Wells Creatives or email us at heartsandhandspodcast at gmail.com. We thank you for those of you who have supported the podcast through patreon.com slash heartsandhandspodcast. Without you, the show would not be able to continue, uh, we, so we thank you for that. If you are interested in supporting it, you can go to that site and check out all the bonus content and uncut episodes that we have available for you there as you support us. We thank you again for all of your support. Thanks for joining us this episode. We'll catch you next time. 